0: You are listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church. recorded call it live from our Sunday service. Good morning, Church. The scripture reading is taken from Psalm 25, verses 1 to 3, 6 to 11, 16 to 18, and 22. Of David, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God! In you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, B.J. Uh, very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. Uh, it's uh, you know a wonderful season we've just come out of uh, for the past uh, quite a number of weeks. The weeks leading up to Easter, and then the three weeks following that, which is the last three Sundays, uh, we've been having a more evangelistically intensive period, uh, a time where we've been seeking to intentionally present Jesus and the Christian faith to non-Christians, whom we've invited into our midst. Uh, We're currently in the midst of gathering stories and testimonies of how Agapians have made the most of this evangelistic period and how this period has also itself challenged and shaped us uh, as we go out and act uh, in line with God's command to us. So we're in the midst of doing that, gathering those stories, and I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. Uh, I believe that they will really encourage us and that our strength will be uh, strengthened Uh, sorry our faith will be strengthened uh, that god we will see is truly the god of salvation right so you can look forward to that uh i think it's an update that will come in a few weeks time but this morning uh, we're beginning a two-part series uh, on hope amidst the hardships of life right this is a topic that needs little introduction because most of us if not all of us have gone through hard times Right, whether it's financially or in our families, uh, our health or at work or at school, um, our relationships with people or in our sense of purpose and a sense of future. Uh, maybe some of us are facing legal issues or we're facing a sudden breakdown in our identity. Maybe you've currently or uh, recently experienced betrayal, slander, brokenness. Right, so some of us might be already facing serious hardship, uh, like very, like very presently, right? Some others of us may have just only uh, weathered the worst of the storm. Some of us are living life with a time bomb hanging over us. That any day, anytime, you know you're going to be facing a major crisis pretty soon. And there's this weight that you're carrying with you. Uh, it's there when you wake up, it's there when you go to bed, you feel anxious. You feel alone, you feel without hope, right? And your heart has just become uh, so dull. And now your faith is impacted as well. Your daily life is shaped around either dealing with the hardship or trying to escape from it. When you read your Bible, it seems terribly irrelevant. Uh, You have little to no desire to pray. And God just seems entirely out of the picture. Now, it is no coincidence that our hardships can take a toll on our faith, right? Jesus told a parable of the different soils, and you probably know this one. Uh, A man sows some seeds, and the seed uh, fall on different kinds of soil. Now, one of the seeds fell among thorns, and as the seed began to grow, the thorns grew alongside it, and it strangled the life out of the growing seed. Now, when Jesus interpreted this parable, he said that the seed is the word of God. Right? The Word of God is meant to take root in our hearts, uh, to make us fruitful uh, in our good works. And then Jesus said, the thorns symbolizes our worldly desires and the seduction of wealth. But not only that, Jesus also said that the thorns represent the cares of the world. So it's not just the bright, shiny, seductive things of the world that strangle our faith. It's also the anxious things of this world that strangle faith. These are the things that make you fearful, worried, burdened. And if you're not careful, these burdensome things you carry may very well choke the life out of your faith. There may even come a point where your faith simply dies, right? Maybe you're still coming to church. Maybe you're still having a good time with your cell, uh, at your cell meetings, but there's barely any pulse to your faith. So what do we do? How do we keep the faith, as the saying goes, uh, even in the midst of hardships? Right? Beyond just being a coping mechanism, how can our faith become the overarching framework through which we interpret and address our hardships? Or simply put, how can our faith in Jesus become the lens through which we make sense of our hard times? Now, these are just some of the questions we want to answer. So what we're going to do is that we're going to be looking at two uh, back-to-back psalms, Psalm 25 and Psalm 26. And over these two Sundays, we're going to unpack these psalms to find answers. Now, Psalms 25 and 6, they have so many similarities. They are both uh, written by David, and they are also both David's personal prayers to God. But as we'll see next week, these two psalms are also tremendously different. They are like night and day, right? But for today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at David's prayer from Psalm 25. And there are three aspects of this prayer that we're gonna be looking at. Firstly, uh, the problem that David was facing. Uh, Secondly, the petitions, the requests that David made of God. And finally, the posture, sorry, the posture uh, of David's heart as he makes this prayer. Now Psalm 25 is a pretty lengthy psalm, Uh, it's very long. I'm not gonna be going verse by verse, nor am I going to be uh, flashing every verse I mention on the screen. So uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be referencing the verses verbally as I go through the sermon. So if you have your Bibles with you, all right, I encourage you to open them up to Psalm 25 and just leave them open with you uh, as we go through the sermon and I think it'll really help you to follow along. So let's begin uh, first with the problem that David was facing. So in Psalm 25, it's really clear. David is in trouble. In verse 19, David talks about the enemies that are out to get him. Uh, Not just one enemy, but many enemies. And these enemies hate him immensely. In verse 15, David says that he has even gotten caught in a trap that they have laid out for him. Now, his psychological state, David reveals in verse 16 that he's lonely. He's afflicted. He feels helpless. He feels wretched. In verse 17, David declares that the troubles of his heart are enlarged, meaning that he's anxious, he's fearful, he's worried all the time. He's overwhelmed by numerous distresses. Now, we don't really know what exactly David was going through. We don't know the specifics, we don't know the details, but what we do know is that David is worried about a number of things. One of those things is that he's worried he's not going to be able to escape this trap that he's been caught in. He's worried that he's going to be put to shame, that his reputation, his name, is going to be dragged through the mud and there's nothing he can do about it. And as the king of Israel, David is worried that his troubles will engulf the entire nation, and that the whole nation will suffer because of him. Now, these are just some of the things that David is worried about, but there's a twist to Psalm 25. There's, there's, There's a sudden twist that you realize. David, you see, he is not blameless for the state of his affairs. David is not innocent with regards to what he is going through. Four times, David expresses his guilt before God, and he asks God for his forgiveness. In verse 7, David cries out to God, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And then in verse 11, David says again, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Later on in verse 18, David for a third time pleads with God, forgive all my sins. And at the end of the psalm, David wraps up his prayer with a cry for God to redeem Israel out of all the troubles that they were suffering on account of his sins. Now, what these repeated admissions tell us is that David is in no small part responsible for the hardships that he is now experiencing. David sees a correlation between his sins and his problems. David is asking God to rescue him from a mess of his own making. Now, people, have you ever been in that place? Have you faced the problem that David is facing here in Psalm 25, where all your sufferings are largely a consequence of your own actions? Right, that that it is in no small part your fault that things are falling apart the way they are. Have you been there? Or are you even now perhaps in a mess of your own making? Now maybe as a student, you know, you've lost every opportunity to further your education. Every door is closed to you because of your laziness and procrastination. Maybe your relationship as a father with your children is on the rocks because of your stubborn pride and the hot anger that you display against them. Maybe your marriage is falling apart because you have been busy flirting with your colleague. Perhaps you're on the verge of losing your job because of your lack of integrity at work. Maybe you're facing a a crisis of your health because you've had little to zero self-control when it comes to food and when it comes to managing your stress. Now, have you been there before? Or are you now in the middle of a mess of your own making? Or perhaps is your life slowly but steadily progressing towards a guaranteed disaster because of the sins that you are currently indulging? Now, how do you deal with such situations? How do you deal with the sin, your sin, that has brought about all these hardships? And how do you have hope? Or are you not supposed to have hope because all of this is your fault? It's one thing to face random, innocent sufferings, but it's another thing when your actions are one of the main reasons for your own suffering. So now we look at David, and how does David deal with his own mess? What does he pray, and how does he pray? Let's first look at what David prays in part two, the petitions. So as I mentioned earlier, David is in trouble. This is a trouble of his own making. David has confessed his guilt. But what specifically does David pray for? What does he ask from God? Now, Psalm 25 is quite a messy psalm, all right? You look at it and you realize that the prayer requests are all over the place. They're repeated and, you know, they're not quite consistent. And the truth is that perhaps this is a reflection of where David is, but also Uh, is the truth that all his petitions are actually interconnected. Now, two of David's petitions are fairly obvious, right? The first request David makes is for deliverance. Uh, In verse 2, David asked that he would not be put to shame, that his enemies would not triumph over him. Later in verse 20, David asked God to guard his soul and deliver him. David was in trouble, and so naturally, he asked God to deliver him. Now the second request David makes is for forgiveness. Uh, Earlier on, we looked at certain places in the Psalm uh, where David confesses his sins, and then he also asks for God to pardon his guilt and to forgive all his sins. And again, this is a natural thing to pray, especially since David's trouble is connected to his own sins. Now those are the two fairly obvious requests that David makes of God. He prays for deliverance, he prays for forgiveness. But the bulk of David's prayer focuses on two things. And I want to give, give these two things uh, a bit more attention. Now, the first petition that David makes is to be turned to God. In Psalm 25, David expresses such a desire to know God's ways. And David wants to be set on the proper path. In verse 45. David says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. David wants to walk in God's ways. He wants to live as God would want him to live. But David knows he can't do it by himself. He needs God himself to help him, to teach him, to lead him, to guide him. Now, later in verses 8 to 10, verse 12, David again expresses his desire for God to enable him to walk in the right paths. Now, you see, David is not simply looking for his sins to be forgiven, right? Uh, like, Like he's just asking to be released from a psychological weight of his grief. David is engaging in true repentance, True repentance is not only acknowledging your sins and seeking God's forgiveness. That's only a partial repentance. True repentance is turning away from your sin and turning to God instead. That's what David's going through. He's turning to God and he's asking God to set him on the right path. Now, the second petition that David clearly makes is for God to turn to him. Now, this desire that David has, is it's everywhere throughout the psalm, but we see it most clearly in verse 16, where David says, turn to me. Turn to me and be gracious to me. So not only does God want to be turned, uh, sorry, does David want to be turned towards God, he's also praying that God would turn towards him. Now, why does this matter so much? To David, God is not just the one who answers prayers, who gives us what we need. To David, God is himself the one we need. And David understands that in his sin, in the troubles he's facing, he needs God. He needs God close to him. He needs God to be with him in the midst of every decision he makes. To have God close to him for every step of hardship that he's going to go through, he needs God. And David understands that his sin has damaged his intimacy with God, his fellowship with God. His sin has put a distance between him and God. And so David is asking for that intimacy, that fellowship to be restored, and for that gap between him and God to be bridged. David wants his fellowship with God to be restored. Now that's his second petition. Now as we consider these two petitions, right, the first one for true repentance, the second one for fellowship with God to be restored, we're gonna ask ourselves, when it comes to the messes that we make in our own lives, what do we ask for? What are the petitions that we make? How do we address the sins that have contributed to our painful situation? When I consider my own heart, I find that there are a number of ways that I might address my sinful situation before God. And maybe some of you might find these things familiar. Right now, the first way I might address my sinful situation is to play the victim. And this is where I magnify my sufferings, but I minimize my sin. I come before God with an attitude that says, God, I'm suffering so much, you have to help me. But I take no ownership of my sinful contribution to my suffering. Now, a second way I might address my sinful situation is to play the therapist. This is where I magnify my guilt, my anxiety, my fear, without actually dealing with my sin. In prayer, I come before God, I admit that I've done wrong, I admit that that my wrong has contributed to this difficult situation I'm in, but I have no intention of turning towards God. And after I pray and I pour out my heart, I, I walk away and I say, oh, it feels so good to get this off of my chest. Now the third way I might address my sinful situation is to play the negotiator. This is where I use my sin as leverage to get God to fix my situation. I come before God with this attitude that says, Lord, I know I'm wrong. I want to walk in your ways. I want to turn to you. I do and I will once you do your part and once you help me clear this mess. The fourth way is to play the hopeless case. This is where I own my sin so much that I'm convinced that I can never change. This sin is who I am. And so I come before God with an attitude that says, Lord, I'm a lost cause. If you want to help me, help me. If you don't want to help me, okay, sure. But you just don't expect me to change. Now, these are just some ways that I, and maybe you too, uh, have used to deal with those difficult, sinful situations. But then we look at David's prayer, and David's prayer is so different. You see, many times the essence of our prayers is simply, Lord, fix this. Fix this mess. Fix this situation. Fix those other people. Right? Fix me, even. Right? Our prayers call on God to fix things, to resolve situations, to restore a sense of normalcy in our own lives. But David's prayer is Lord, be near, be near, O God, be near. Yes, David says, deliver me, yes, take my guilt away, yes, sort out my enemies and their schemes, but oh God, turn me to you and turn your face towards me. Be near, oh God, be near. And what David's petitions teach us is to go beyond praying those fix-it prayers To boldly pray those, be near, prayers. Be near, oh God, be near. Now this does mean that we've got to confess our sins. We've got to resolve to turn to God, away from our sins. And we've got to ask God to draw near as well. James chapter four tells us, but God gives more grace, praise the Lord. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. James is saying, humble yourself. Yield your life to his will. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, this is what David is doing in Psalm 25. He is humbling himself, he's submitting himself to God, he is cleansing his sinful hands and purifying his double-minded heart, and he is drawing near to God with the hope that God will draw near to him. And in the midst of our sinful hardships, we are invited to do the same. People, hard times are opportunities to draw near to God. Are you going through a hard time? God is inviting you to draw near to Him in repentance as He draws near to you in fellowship. Be near, oh God, be near. That's what we need to pray in times of hardship and sin, but the question remains, how do we pray such prayers? We come to the final part, the posture of David's heart in his prayer. A question for us, if you were in David's shoes and you were in this mess that you had created, how would you pray? What kind of posture or tone or attitude would you bring before God? Think about it and there are two extremes that we could go through. One extreme posture that we might take is to bear all the responsibility for the hardship that you're going through. Your sinful choices led to this horrible situation. It's your fault. So maybe you don't even pray at all, right? Why? Because you created this mess. So you should go and clean it up. So you bear all the responsibility for the hardship. The other extreme posture to take is to bear zero responsibility for the hardship you're going through. Right, you find ways and means to magnify how others have contributed to the situation. It's your child's fault for showing so much attitude. That's why you hit her. That's why you use vulgarities against her. It was your spouse's fault for not giving you attention. That's why you were having this emotional affair with your colleague. You could pin uh, the blame on anything. Right? the weather was too hot. You didn't get enough sleep. Your parents didn't raise you rightly. Your school and your teachers are unreasonable. You were feeling hormonal, right? There's always something or someone else to blame. And so it's not your fault. You deny that you had any significant role to play in the mess that you had made. And so your prayers to God are filled with self-righteous entitlement. God better come through for you because you are not the one at fault. So two extreme postures, One bearing all the responsibility, the other bearing zero responsibility. Now you look at these two extremes and you think, wow, they are are so different. But in reality, they actually have so much in common. Both extremes come from the same place. One One extreme stubbornly refuses to accept help. The other extreme stubbornly refuses to admit fault. Where does this stubbornness come from? It comes from a desire to save yourself, to prove yourself. The person who takes all the responsibility and refuses to seek help is someone who desperately is trying to redeem himself. Fixing the mess he made is his way of proving that he is a good person. The person who avoids responsibility and refuses to admit fault is someone who is desperately trying to protect his image and his esteem. Blaming someone else is his way of proving that he is a good person. But we look at David in this Psalm, and we realize that his posture is neither one of taking all the responsibility, nor taking zero responsibility. Does David admit his sins? Yes, he does. He takes full responsibility for that, But at the same time, David also blames his enemies who are trying to ruin him. Yet what is very clear is that while David is not trying to cover up his fault in this matter, yet David is nevertheless looking to God for help. And what we find is that David's posture is a posture of humble confidence. Three times in the Psalm, David declares that he is waiting for God. What does it mean that David is waiting for God? Verse 1 and 2, he says, he has lifted his soul to God. He has put his trust in God. Verse 15, he says, he has fixed his eyes on God, confident that God will deliver him from the trap of his enemies. Verse 20, he is trusting that God will guard his soul and deliver him. He has made God his refuge. David is waiting for God with confidence. And this is not a self-entitled uh, kind of confidence, right? David is not saying, God, you owe me, so I'm waiting any time now. That is not how he's doing it. This is a humble confidence. David readily confesses his sin, and yet he is confident that God will come through for him. Where does David get his confidence? David is the one that sinned. He's the one that messed up. He's the one suffering the consequences of his own actions. Where does his confidence come from? People, David's confidence comes from God's character, from knowing who his God is. David is confident because he knows that God is a God who saves. Should be a slide for this. God is a God who saves. David is confident that he will not be put to shame, that his enemies will not defeat him. Why? He says in verse 5, because you are the God of my salvation. David's confidence comes from knowing God's character. God is the God of salvation. David is confident because he knows that God is good. In verse 7, David pleads with God not to remember his sins, but to look upon him favorably. Why? David says, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And then he goes on to say in verse eight, good and upright is the Lord. And because God is good, David is confident that God will turn sinners like him, like David, away from their sin and towards God. Thirdly, David is confident because he knows that the Lord is faithful. Now, throughout the psalm, David addresses God as the Lord, capitalized L-O-R-D, right? This is God's covenantal name in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And this is the God who is gracious and merciful, who abounds in steadfast love. And David says in verse 10, all the paths of Yahweh are steadfast love and faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful to His own glory And so David pleads in verse 11 that God would forgive his sins for the sake of the name of Yahweh. God is faithful to his own glory. But God is also faithful to those who put their trust in him, to those who keep his covenant and testimonies. Verse 10, David says in verse 14, the friendship of Yahweh is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. God is faithful to his people. His people are not perfect, they're not sinless people. Many times the people of God are frail, they are weak, and many times they're so foolish as well. And as God's people, we do get into deep trouble because of our own sins. But nevertheless, the people of God are those who keep putting their trust in Him, who come humbly to Him in fear and repentance, who look to God to save them, not because they are so good, but because God is good, and God is faithful, and because He is the saving one. People, do you know what we call this kind of a humble confidence in God's character? We call such confidence faith. Faith is confidence in God's unfailing, unchanging character. And when we go through hardships even though it's because of our own sins we are still invited to draw near to god with faith with that humble confidence in who god is and even in the worst times we can have hope hope that yes god can deliver us but also hope that even in the midst of the fire and through the storm god is with us and where god is as david knew so well god's blessings abound God himself becomes that foundation that we all need when our lives are falling apart. And when God is near, we are never really, truly defeated, no matter how painfully our situations may get resolved. People, we have a greater reason for faith, actually, for that humble confidence than David did. God has sent us his son, Jesus came to dwell among us, to show us the way, to meet us in our loneliness and our affliction, and to extend to us the friendship and the nearness of God. But God also sent His Son, Jesus, to die so that what David prayed might come to pass, that God would no longer remember the sins of our youth and our transgressions, So that God would pardon our guilt, even though, yes, it is great. So that God would forgive all our sins and that he might redeem us out of all our troubles. God sent Jesus, his son, to take our place in sin so that we might enjoy Jesus's position, so that we might enjoy all the privileges that Jesus had in his righteousness. I'm gonna put it like this. Jesus was forsaken in his righteousness so that we might draw near to God in our sin. Therefore, even sinners have hope. If you remember at the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as Christians, even in times of our self-made troubles, because of our sins because of our sins because of our stupidity we get to still say if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with jesus graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against us it is god who has justified us Who shall condemn us? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and is now at the right hand of God, interceding for us, praying for us even now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you wonder if God will save you? Look at how far Jesus went for you. Are you unsure if your God is good to you? Look at how he sent his son for a sinner like you. Are you worried that God would not be faithful to someone like you? Look to the cross. Now, I love how Paul puts it in 2 Timothy. He says very simply, very plainly, even if we are not faithful, God remains faithful. Why? Because he must be true to himself. So no matter what you've done, no matter how big the mess you've created, no matter how great your sins are, there is still hope. God will be true to who he is, and he is good. He is the faithful one, and he is the savior. So put your humble confidence, put your faith in him. Let's come before the Lord right now in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Who is like you, O Lord? Lord, we look back, maybe not even that far, and we consider the times that we sinned, that we created all kinds of problems and situations for ourselves and for others. Lord, in those times, perhaps even our own parents refused to forgive us. Maybe even our close friends, our spouses refused to forgive us. Yet you forgive. Again and again you forgive. And you draw us near, Lord. You draw us near not reluctantly, not as though you were welcoming a filthy insect into your house, but you draw us near as precious children. Lord, we are so grateful. We praise you, Yahweh, the good and faithful and saving God. The Lord who is gracious and merciful, who abounds in steadfast love. Father, for those of us who are going through hardships in our lives right now, hard times because of our own sins, Lord, would you deliver them? Deliver them from their sins, deliver them from their circumstances, and deliver us through Jesus. That we might approach your throne of grace and to find help, wonderful help in times of need. Lord, we thank you not only for giving us hope, thank you for being our hope. So we pray, be near, O oh God, be near. We love you, oh Father. We put our trust in your Son, and through your spirit, we bring this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg